Welcome to The Beauty of Horror, a podcast dedicated to exploring the unsettling beauty found within our favorite genre. Each episode, I'll sit down with a different guest to discuss a horror film they find particularly beautiful and why. I'm your host, Chandler Bullock, and today's guest is a Rotten Tomatoes certified film journalist and horror critic. She is, in my opinion, one of the pillars of horror discourse and creation of our generation. You may know her work on her YouTube channel, Spooky Astronauts. Beautiful greetings to Emma Wolf. Thank you so much for having me. That was an introduction. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, I think that your reputation's starting to precede you, and it's (laughs) something that people should know, you know? Like, you're you're really making a community in your own areas, but also outside of it. And I think it's so cool to watch that develop. So, yeah, super excited to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Now, before we begin our discussion, I do like to kick things off with a quote that relates to our topic. Sometimes I pull it from philosophy, filmmakers, all over the place. And today's quote is... Beauty is the exhilarating feeling that something complex, perhaps to the point of being profound, might yield to understanding. For the human mind, equipped as it is to take reality into itself through its symbolic representation of the world and itself, the feeling of beauty serves as Keats's harbinger of a, quote, reality to come. Keats, of course, being somebody that they were referencing in their own work. Uh, I'll reveal who said that and why I thought it was uh, fitting to our discussion in a bit. But first, Emma, I would like to start things off with, I'm sure information you've mentioned on other places, but you know, for my audience, uh, how did you get into the work that you're doing now? Well, where did this uh, spark for horror come from? Well, I've always liked film and um, I've always been into that. And I think exploring film by myself as a teenager, I was always looking for something that would push the envelope and something that was um, different and how I could explore like taboo topics. And that always goes towards mm. horror. That's where it ends up because horror has the most subgenres. It has the most um, room for experimental work. Uh, there's just so much it covers. So Primarily, I'm into dark cinema, but horror, that's that's exactly what that is. So, horror and thriller, that's how I got into it. I see, I see. So, it's this general interest in the more kind of like darker tinges of cinema. And, of course, horror is going to be the big kind of greenhouse to, to make all those plants, basically, if you will. So, are then outside of horror, then, are there any particular subgenres that kind of like peaked that before? Like, are there any films that maybe you feel started that interest in this kind of like darker cinema? Um, Yeah, I'm sure there's lots. Uh, I mean, one of the films I was really obsessed with as a teenager was Fight Club. Um, And I feel like that's Ah. one of those films that, you know, of course, it's not horror. And it's not really even thriller. I don't even know what to call it. It's genre bending. And that's kind of what I like. A lot of people like to put horror in boxes. And the best horrors Mm -hmm. I find are genre bending, like Ari Aster films and stuff. They have people talking about them because it's not just, it's so predictable and um, I guess so structured. So I like films that kind of flow into everything. Right there with you. Yeah, (laughs) I I do love a film that is hard to define. The Mm -hmm. best films, in my opinion, are the ones that you're like, you just kind of have to see it, you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's the experience. And uh, I think that's where the big debates come from as well, because you're right. People do like to put it into boxes because horror is a very personal genre, I've noticed. People seem to have their kind of pets in the whole genre. And that does shape their view on it. Mm -hmm. But 
what I've come to learn through a lot of the interviews I've had for this show is how many people have stated that they love the genre because it's such a complementary genre to other types of storytelling devices as well. So it's it's always lovely to hear yet another person kind of citing that. Yeah, for sure. I also think that horror, like the sh- subgenres and the different kind of stories you're drawn to. Uh, reflect a lot on your own experience and perspective Um, and that's what I love about horror because it's all about you know exploring trauma and like the really dark parts of life in a symbolic way so I think it's really interesting to hear what other people love about horror and what other people like what other people's films they really relate to because it says Mm. a lot about people without them even knowing it (laughs) exactly I mean the mere fact that people will make snap judgments just based on other people's tastes it's like we know that it says a lot about other people, but then we forget that it also says a lot about us when we talk about our own tastes and and views on films as well. So then, how long have you been fascinated by cinema then? Is this something that you've been into since you were a child, or was it something that happened more when you were kind of getting into your teen years? Um, Always when I was a kid. When I was, um, I don't know, like 12 or, I mean, when I was Mm -hmm. a kid, I was always watching like The Goonies and just random movies like that. (laughs) But um, when I was, I think maybe 12, I got a video camera and I used to make short films. I actually haven't really spoken about this ever, but I used to make short films all the time on my little, like, it was like a Handycam, Sony Handycam. And, um, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> and I got really into editing and that's how I started. So yeah, I used to, there was like all of these random shorts I used to make. And then also when, you know, DVDs were around, you'd burn them onto the DVD and do the little menu, um, like a custom mm-hmm. menu and all that kind of stuff. I used to have like stop frame animation about, <laughs> I wish I could, f- I should f- try and find these about like Mandarin. Oh, I don't know what you call them. Uh, Clementines, I think people call them, but they're mandarins, just oh, fruit, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, stabbing each other. <laughs> All this random stuff when I was a kid, (laughs) just really creative with it. So I was always into, yeah, film that way, I guess. And um, in high school, I was really lucky. They had a film class. So I did editing and that's when I learned editing when I was, yeah, maybe like 15, 16. And then um, from there, like my first jobs out of school were editing. I used to work like on the news, doing live switching Mm -hmm. for graphics. And then I also did, uh, edited a few TV shows, but they weren't like <laughs> anything that story driven. They were like magazine lifestyle shows. So real okay. estate, <laughs> cars, you know, I worked on a gardening show for three years. So <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. Very different well, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> still, like the, the fact that, you know, in a way I would consider that stuff even harder as, for an editor, especially if you are into narrative filmmaking <laughs> as yeah. a form. Because you you want to tell a story, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of like in your bones. (laughs) Well, I guess that's where I started um, with my channel because I always had like a background technical knowledge for editing and um, film. And then I always loved YouTube as well. And then horror movies. So I just thought I just put Mm -hmm. that all together. And I just said, oh, you know what? I'm just going to try this out and see if there's anyone out there who feels the same. Because I don't really have anyone in my life that is into dark cinema like I am. And I feel like a lot of people feel like that way um, mm. online. A lot of people mm-hmm. are into horror and they don't know other people who are into horror. So it's, it's a very personal thing for me, um, watching movies. It's like a very personal experience. Yeah, I think a, you're right. A lot of us online do relate to that. You see, you know, I, I have, I think that's why when people talk about like the horror community a lot online, you know, they're really just thinking like, well, this is what links us together. So therefore we are one community, not realizing it's 
it's too broad of a genre to be talking about the same thing all the time, mm. at least on a sensibility level. Mm-hmm. But at least you're, you're right, or at least they are right. We do share that because most of us don't have people in our daily lives who get it the way mm-hmm. we do, or at least care to even think about it that way. Yeah. So yeah. I get that personal, you know, attachment to it as well. And it's actually really refreshing for me to hear somebody who is so, you know, you've amassed quite a film viewing community of like-minded people in in your area and you know to hear that you would say in your immediate environment you don't have a lot of people who who share that it's just uh as sad as it is here <laughs> it's also like oh good because i don't either mm. <laughs> so no i kind of enjoy that just, about it it's like such right? a yeah i like going to the cinema by myself I, i'm just really lucky that um mm-hmm. And I, I talk to so many people online, like, um, with my community, people DM me all the time and I get into conversations and I feel like they, um, lucky for me, I have an outlet where after I watch a movie and it's crazy, I can just go and speak to a camera and people want to hear what I have to say for some <laughs> weird reason. But I get a lot of people who don't have that community or like, oh, well, they have the community, but don't have that platform, can't do the same thing. Yeah. Um, or, I mean, they can, anyone can do what I do, but, um, yeah, I'm very lucky that after watching a movie, I can go and, um, sit in the car and talk a lot of crap about it. And then (laughs) I feel like I've done it and it's kind of off my chest, everything I wanted to say, because I can't imagine, you know, like driving home after seeing Hereditary and never, like, not having anyone to speak to about it. You just know? silently in the car, yeah. like Peter, just not. Yeah, not looking don't look at in the rear view mirror. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, I think that's amazing that you know you get that, and I think what's so special about it, and I guess why, like it, you know, makes me excited to talk to people who do the same. Is you know that's a goal of mine as well. Is that we are trying to kind of communicate to people that although you can build communities and it's centered around an individual. It doesn't change the fact that other people can do the same thing, and you're also still providing a platform for other people to find like-minded people to talk to who have no one in, in their daily lives. So it's super cool that you've been able to like bring so many different people together in these different you know forums, Twitter, YouTube, all kinds of different places. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they just share the fact that they want to talk about your thoughts on these films. I mean, yeah, the, the YouTube part of it, you, it's a lot of hard work, but you also, I guess the luck of it is you have the safety of, I got to say my point without anybody like, and arguing with me mm. on the spot. <laughs> yeah. That's why I like going to the cinema alone. Indeed, is just kind of have my own thoughts and not immediately get into a debate right when the movie's over. Yeah, I but, also like going yeah. and speaking to the camera right away because um, otherwise, if mm-hmm. I do get other people's thoughts in my head, it kind of changes the way I perceive a film. And I've come out of films where I absolutely love it. And, um, you know, done done a review, on-the-spot review, and then afterwards realized everyone hated the film. So it's really interesting <laughs> in that way. I think that's a def- really different experience for people who go to the movies with their friends and walk mm-hmm. out and then they all kind of hear each other out at the, at the start and they might change kind of what they, like, be influenced, I guess. So that's, yeah. that's fun. I like that. Exactly. I, so one more question then about your career path, and then we'll jump into our film. Uh, I was curious, out of the types of fil- uh, types of videos that you create, what tends to be more successful? The ones where you produce them more at home and show off all those filmmaking skills, or when you're in the car with your immediate thoughts on the film? I'm very curious what you have found has the best engagement. 
I find that people like the Come With Me reviews, which are the ones where I go to the um, cinema, those are pretty popular. But it only it depends on the film as well. It depends if the films come out at the right time because obviously I'm in Australia. Mm -hmm. So um, (laughs) if it uh, has the right release date, if it's two weeks later, I just don't even bother sometimes. So because you know, like Halloween, that was really hard because that came out like three weeks later here. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, it is a bummer. And so, if I miss the mark, so I mean, it's a huge thing that um, relies on the algorithm. But I do find even the films that I uh, the sorry, the videos I put the most work into, like I put so much hard work into, I did an alien ranking franchise um, video and it, I think it went for like 30 minutes, 40 minutes. I went, I broke down all of the films and like went into detail and that did pretty poorly. And I spent so so much time and effort on it, but that's what it's like because people like these instant kind of clickbaity conversational videos. And sometimes I just like turn the camera on and I just talk and then those do well. So it's really hard to predict what's going to pick up on the algorithm. There's so many different factors, but I do find um, the come with me kind of vlogs where I go to the cinema, they tend to do well because people always know what they're getting into. They like my initial reactions i'm pretty animated Uh so that works for people and it's just like a fun easy video to watch so i think that they just work well with people and i see a lot of comments people always say that that's their favorite so that's what i'm gonna go with (laughs) all right yeah i asked because that's the thing i would have speculated as well because knowing i've done i mean i haven't done a lot of i'm I'm the type of person that starts things and moves on to the next thing (laughs) before it can ever get successful this is the first project where i'm like no damn it i'm I'm just gonna stick with this and and try to do something with it uh because i have the time and and skills to do this one just like yourself like you had a lot of filmmaking skills i've had a lot of audio editing and, Mm -hmm. and voice acting skills so i try to put it into this uh but i have noticed that community seems to be the most powerful thing for a lot of people that you have this the interest in knowing your expertise and, and your knowledge on film and and discourse but then on top of it it's really just hearing somebody who's very knowledgeable just go hey yo like a person talking to mm. them because they, you might validate their feelings or make them go i never thought of it that way yeah and, and yeah you're not talking down to anybody they feel like they're a part of the conversation mm. uh, and it's very powerful for a lot of people so, not surprised, but uh, yeah, th- there you go. For anybody out there, you're like, oh, I don't know if I could ever do that. It's a lot of hard work, so you do have to learn that part of it. But, you know, something as simple as sitting in your car with your phone and being honest mm. helps. Well, I think it comes fr- as well, like the idea for those kinds of videos comes from the old school, you know, like how YouTube used to be, where it was just a normal person. And that's the fascination with vlogs and the whole thing is um, – following just a normal person and their what they're doing that day or anything like that. So, it's kind of like a hybrid of that because it's a hybrid of that but plus, you know, someone who likes film. So, it kind of works for both. You know, it's quite niche in that regard, I guess. So, that's why I think it works. Yeah. For that platform anyway. Exactly. Not fully agree on that. In fact, I think you've just made a wonderful segue <laughs> into our film today. Uh, so, I like to get the guests to give their announcements for it. So, Emma, what movie are we going to discuss today we're going to discuss mandy <laughs> mandy it was bound to come up i actually had a guest from my previous season discuss beyond the black rainbow and he's like mm. oh, i can't wait to come back one day and do mandy <laughs> and then you picked it up and was like sorry dude uh, oh, no, it for I'm now. <laughs> but no it's great i, I like to, to spread it all out and so but cool second time we're gonna i'm gonna talk about uh, panos cosmatos's work and before we get into it for anybody who hasn't seen it i'm gonna give you the brief synopsis that they have on imdb i like to see if it 
holds up to the discussions that we have, <laughs> if it was accurate. IMDb says that Mandy is about the enchanted lives of a couple in a secluded forest that are brutally shattered by a nightmarish hippie cult and their demon biker henchmen, propelling a man into a spiraling, surreal rampage of vengeance. I think that's pretty accurate, yeah, actually. Yeah, that's uh, good. You know, they did a good job on that one. Mm-hmm, uh, kudos to whoever wrote that one. Mm-hmm. So when I approached you and asked for you to choose a film that you found particularly beautiful, you were pretty quick with Mandy. <laughs> so I would like to know, how quickly did you think of this film? And what was it that made it kind of like, this is what I have to talk about for this podcast? It's going to be really interesting because I'm sure a lot when people call, I guess people probably do talk about the storyline being beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. But I probably picked something that you haven't thought of, which was the soundtrack is what makes this film so beautiful. This is one of my favorite Excellent. soundtracks ever. And I'm totally going to butcher the name, Johan Johansson, who unfortunately yeah. passed away a few years ago. This was one of his last works. Um, and wow. he's just the most amazing composer. And I listen to the soundtrack like nonstop. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. And it's very interesting <laughs> because it, it kind of, it's like the complete opposite to the film's aesthetics so in a way. I mean, it is very uh-huh. dreamy. And as you said, enchanted. But uh, it's very like glam rock, the, the actual film itself. Like it has this kind of... I don't know, this 80s kind of vibe or 70s, 80s. I would guess the culty kind of aspect is like 70s, but then Mandy herself is like some kind of rocket chick, hippie, and the soundtrack is just, I don't know even what you'd call it. It's like this beautiful ambient music that just, oh, my gosh, it's 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 amazing. So that's actually why I think it's so beautiful is mainly because of the soundtrack. Obviously, the aesthetics. The whole film feels like it's in half speed. Um, it's not a mm-hmm. fast pace watched at, at all. So, yeah, it's just a, it's like a dream-like state watching this film. But the soundtrack is, is definitely the reason I think it's so beautiful. I love that answer. And no, I wasn't expecting it, but <laughs> probably not for the reasons you would not expect. Uh So, you know, yeah, I come from the aesthetic side of things and what I love to explore through this podcast is how tightly woven aesthetics and emotion and feeling tend to be, but also to really help broaden people's horizons about their ideas about aesthetics. So usually we're thinking of visuals, right? We're thinking Mm -hmm. of color schemes and, and all that. But in the grander scheme of aesthetics and the conversation and discourse on it, anything that is artistically applied to it. You can have the visual realm, but you can also have audible stuff mm-hmm. as well. So things like sound design and music do factor into it. They're just a different aesthetic. Mm-hmm. So people tend to not talk about it, yeah. unfortunately. And I, I, if anybody who is a regular listener knows, they're probably like, oh, Chandler's really happy right now. Because <laughs> like, I complain just about every episode of like, well, I want to talk about the music for a moment. <laughs> I had a musical recently. I was like, oh, well, yeah, we're doing a musical. We have to talk about music now. So I'm really happy that that was the leading force for you, for Mandy, because it is, in my opinion as well, the most prominent kind of I guess aesthetic choice in the film. Just you know, I mean, there's a lot of strong aesthetic choices in this yeah. movie. But Johansson's music just vibes and <laughs> permeates, and it goes from super dark to really magical and uplifting in weird moments too. I, I, you're, you're right to point out this kind of contrast with the visuals that we're seeing mm. sometimes. Uh, so, how many times have you seen Mandy? Then, if I may ask, maybe three times. I would say, yeah. Three times. Okay. Yeah, this would be my second watch as well. 
Uh, do you find yourself just kind of listening to the soundtrack on its own? Yeah, well, I listen to the soundtrack all the time on Spotify. So <laughs> it's weird now to watch the movie because I'm so used to the soundtrack more than the movie. So, yeah. I have that with Pan's Labyrinth that I was oh, so really? obsessed with it when it came out that I just listened to that soundtrack on, I had, you know, CD era. I had it on <laughs> CD and just listened to it constantly. And then when I, yeah, picked it up and finally saw it on Blu-ray. I, I, actually, no, I think I saw it the first time on DVD because I had to wait months after it released because I live in the Netherlands. And uh, I don't, at the time, I didn't speak any Dutch and they don't subtitle foreign films in English here. So I had to wait until I could get my hands on like a UK copy <laughs> or a US copy to see it. And so when I finally got to hear all that music in context, it is really weird to kind of intimately know a piece of music. And then the context is just wildly different <laughs> than what you're kind of yeah, feeling I when bet. you listen to the music. Yeah, especially with that movie. <laughs> Yeah, especially for this one too. Yeah, I can imagine true. like this is a really good chill zen kind of mm. thing. Like, do you tend to put it on when you're working? Um, it just comes up because I have it on like my lights. Okay. My like my Spotify light. Such an ad for Spotify right now. Um, but I, <laughs> yeah, no, it, I used to. I also had it on like an ambient list. I listen to music mm -hmm. when I when I read, um, which helps. But yeah, I don't know. I just I go I go into rhythms. I guess just like listening to any band, I'm going into rhythms of listening to. Um, I really like this kind of ambient soundtrack music, and there's right. just something about it. I think it's um I should know the name. It's like the I think it's called the love theme, which is my favorite song. I should really know that. Okay, but it's just the most. Wow. It's like a romantic dark thunderstorm. That's what it feels like. <laughs> oh yeah, it's just amazing. A wonderful description. Excellent. I love th these sorts of descriptors as well, because sometimes our emotions are really hard to really pin down. All we have are like metaphors, right? So I, the moment you mentioned like this thunderstorm, but it's romantic, yeah. I immediately know exactly what you're talking about. And I can almost pinpoint from watching the movie too, like, I wonder if it was this scene that it's like <laughs> kind of taking place. I was super excited when you brought up Mandy, not just because it was Cosmatos again, and I get to kind of compare it a little bit in my brain, but also I, I remember when I first saw Mandy, because of what you were saying, how it feels like it's kind of like in half speed, mm -hmm. it does make it dreamlike to the point that you're almost feeling like you're in this weird lucid sleep yeah. kind of thing. Like, I get really tired and anxious when I watch this movie. <laughs> and I think it's I think it's due to the mix of the music and everything like taking its time and the mm -hmm. visuals just feel like it's a dream. Everybody looks kind of sleepy in it as well, because <laughs> they're all high. Uh and I didn't really, I think when I first saw it, it's one of those movies that has a reputation that some people are going to watch it for a reason. And most people are going to be like, hey, isn't that movie where Nicolas Cage kills a bunch of Hellraiser bikers? Yeah. I think that's what it's kind of known for. But it really takes its time before you even get to that point. So if you're going in looking for that, it's a very tedious film to watch. Yeah. When you watch it, and you know, now I got to watch it for the per perspective of this exact uh, podcast, I was just blown away how much the first half of the film is, I think, one of my favorite things just ever. I love it so much. How beautifully put together this, uh, the beauty of mundane life, right? Like, I just love these two living with this beautiful music in the background. Yeah, but I don't even think that's mundane. That's like a dream, like living out in the woods, Fair. not around anybody, and they just look like they're, you know just isolated and they're in their own little cocoon. That's what it really feels like. It feels like just a film clip, really, because there's not a lot of dialogue in this film, mm -hmm. really, at all. Um, 
Yeah, and then the cheese goblin wakes you up pretty fast, though. So <laughs> Cheese goblin. I love they have another editor for that that didn't edit the rest of the movie. Yeah. That pace difference. Yeah, it definitely. It's very jarring. <laughs> it's very Nicolas Cage. <laughs> like, I feel like he has something it to is. do with it. <laughs> yeah. It does kind of feel that way. I, like, I can just imagine him pitching, like, I want to come out. I want to be all disturbed and, dis- and destroyed. And- yeah. And this advertisement comes on. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a fun moment. Uh, and I, it's a moment of levity that you kind of need after the just terror of, of the sequence. Because for people who haven't seen it before, we are going to get into spoilers. So do yourself a favor. Watch Mandy <laughs> before you, you listen to this. But even if we do spoil things, this is one of those kind of like visceral experiential mm. kind of films. I don't think we can spoil it because the plot is really like you can fit it on one page. Yeah. It's about a feeling more than a, a story, I think. Exactly. Uh, well, let's see. Uh, where are we going to start this off with? And, um, we talked a little bit about the music, which, yeah, it's... What I think they did really well was the com- combination of how they used the music with the visuals, because often they were trying to convey certain feelings, emotions, throughout the whole thing. Which, I don't know, have you seen Beyond the Black Rainbow? Yes, I have, many years ago, though. Okay. But yeah, I, I understand that um, it's like more of like a surrealist kind of trip, which is mm-hmm. kind of similar. Yeah. Yeah. And since Kazumatsu has only made two films, it's easy to think if you've seen one and the other is going to be similar to, to the mm-hmm. previous so. film. Uh, and it's not at all. Mm. Uh, Mandy, although slow in the way things are happening, kind of like they're underwater, it's not slow the way Beyond the Black Rainbow <laughs> one was more of a experiment in filmmaking this one is much clearer in what it's trying to say and so what i'm getting at when i'm talking about the way they use the 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 visuals and stuff it's like this one is felt this time that he decided to apply the visual learnings and, and aesthetic vision that he has to tell you things mm. it's not just to create a singular mood throughout an entire film but like little details like when they pull out the whistle and then it starts glowing green but it's clearly just like an editing choice. Mm. It's really like a dun, 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 but with less cheese kind of attached to it, I suppose. I really felt the menace and the cosmic power that came from the different little artifacts and stuff they had. Whereas the magic of the love between Mandy and Red, I think is uh, yeah. Nicholas Cage's character. Yeah, that, you know, they use a lot of nature, honestly. Uh, and, and stars and, and, and the sky is shown a lot in those sequences. And I, I really enjoyed that. It, it kind of took me by surprise with the second viewing. I don't Have you, every time you watch it, does it change for you? Or is it a film that you've kind of, you've got an idea of what it kind of feels like for you? Um, I definitely have an idea about the feeling, but I, I, I focus on different characters, I think, as um, mm. every time I've watched it, like the cook was the one that I didn't really focus on the first time because it really does hit you in the face, even though it's a slow movie, it's very strange and there's, it's not real, it's quite ambiguous. Um, and I think mm-hmm. rewatching it, you kind of really tee up what's going on because it, as you said, it's like a dream. Um, it can, you can get lost in it and lost in all of the beauty. Um, one thing that I find is really interesting when I think about the film, I, I obviously I think about the the uh, cover, but ma- mainly the cover uh, for the album because I see it so much on my phone mm. when I'm listening to it. Um, and so I always think about those uh, purple tones and the pink tones. And um, something that's just occurred to me is it kind of relates back. And I mean, are, are we able to get into spoilers now? <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's dive okay, in. Go. This is not a play by play. Okay, good. So I just didn't want to say go anything. everywhere. 
Um, <laughs> well, you know, it, the, the color I always think about is purple. And then it just relates back to uh, the, the famous book, which is like a, a filmmaker's book um, or like a film student's book, which is if it's purple, someone's going to die. Um, <laughs> and then I think about that because I often do think about coloring, especially if something's cold or something's um, you know, quite warm and what's that trying to convey. But also in this one, it's it's like this cosmic dream. Like it's not really it's not really on Earth. It's like a parallel universe. So I always think about that with the purple, but it could have a dual meaning with Mandy, the fact that it's called Mandy. And we know, spoiler, mm-hmm. Mandy doesn't make it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's kind of what, what I think about. Um, it's just such a sad story <laughs> now. Like I think about that it aspect, really is. it's so it's like so <laughs> doom and gloom, um, so beautiful, but just I don't know. Like when the first time I saw it, and when there's that scene with the fire, which I think is one of the worst things that you see in movies, is anyone being set on fire. It just is horrendous, yeah. and um, I just couldn't believe. I was like, she's gonna be. That's not her. That's something else in that sack. <laughs> like I just <laughs> didn't want to believe it. Um, and it's kind of hard to watch the film after you've, you've given yourself over to the fact that, you know, it's kind of a revenge kind of film and there's, there's no way to bring her back, which is, yeah, it's very sad and solemn. It is a very harrowing kind of story there. Uh, it, yeah, that shocked the hell out of me when I first saw this film. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's named after her. How could she die so early in the movie? (laughs) Yeah. But then you... You realize, especially upon uh, multiple viewings, like it's more about the obsession with Mandy. Yeah. You, know, you have Red's strong feelings and love for her, but you also have Jeremiah's genuine obsession. Yeah. And yeah, it, it's what leads the revenge, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I also found that interesting, too, because don't doesn't the title card pop in? Now, gr- granted, it's a chapter. They treat it like a book and it has different chapters, mm-hmm. which is fitting. She's reading books throughout the entire opening. Yeah. I liked that the later chapter was Mandy, and I do believe that's all the revenge stuff. That oh, was yeah. the Mandy chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is right. an interesting thing. Well, yeah, I think that that's what it it kind of tricks you because you think it's going to be this love romantic story and it just completely flips the script. Um, uh-huh. And there's no really letting you off the hook in the end. It's just all pure rage. And I think it goes from being that those beautiful purple tones really in nature and, you know, the stars and all that kind of stuff at the start. And it really gets in when it gets into the rage, it really does turn red, um, which he is, <laughs> you know, and then there's that shot. I believe he's in the car and he's just pure red. And that's when he's like really getting into the blood and violence and tearing people apart. And it's, uh, I guess those transitions and those colors are really interesting when you think about the aesthetics of it, how it slowly kind of changes like a, um, like you, you know, like a glowing light. Uh, like people have those neon strips, and they they slowly mm-hmm. change into another color. That's kind of what the film is. It's like starts all purple and blue and beautiful, and then turns into this rage red. Yeah, you know, that might also be why it has that dreamy feel to it. Mm. You know, I, if you've ever been in a room where they have those sorts of lights, or they have like a lava lamp that changes colors, yeah. there's just something about it. You just want to chill out and just enjoy the, <laughs> the slow moving colors. You know, like oh, I don't have to think. And Mandy does that to me a lot, especially with the lack of dialogue in the film. Yeah. You can easily just drift off if you want to. It's a very mm-hmm. watchable film. Uh, and, well, up until a point. And <laughs> it, it, it's it's going to get your attention uh, <laughs> at yeah, some point or another. Sure. Uh, maybe that's also why I like the first half a little bit more. It did, lo- you know, always loses me a little bit when we get to the revenge stuff. But that's mainly because I get so invested in this chill, psychedelic <laughs> movie 
And then it does what it does super well, which is go, no, but this isn't a fun movie. This is a very upsetting and just emotionally driven film. So, mm. you know, we're just as upset as Red <laughs> by that point. It's like, just leave everybody alone. Leave Mandy alone. You just fuck off. Like, go away. <laughs> like, uh, And part of that, I think, comes from the aesthetics. They are so soothing in such a weird yet off-putting kind of mm. way. That when they do take that dive into the reds and the the bright greens for the more cosmic parts of it, it just it's very very jarring to mm. experience and puts you into a world that you kind of weren't really prepared for. Yeah, you know what's really interesting is the scene where um, she's like with the cult and it's kind of this you know like psychedelic like trailing almost and uh, she's seeing double and all that kind of stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's when he's trying to come on to her and she rejects him. And it's weird because it's it's also, you know, delivered in this half speed. I know we keep saying half speed. If anyone's listening who has not seen it, it's not really half speed. But um, no. it's definitely like a – it's still a slow moment where you think in any other film that would be a big turning point because it, she kind of just shows that even though she's been taken – uh, she's not going to give in to whatever he wants and she still belongs to herself. And uh, I think it's really interesting that they still show that in that kind of psychedelic way where it's this calming thing that happens. It, yeah, it's it's just really interesting because, yeah, I just th- I think a lot of times we see in movies like drug trips and stuff like that when they're gone wrong. I mean, mm-hmm. talk about like climax or something like that. You see it or even – well, I guess Midsummer's like, I guess that always feels like it's right. But um, in Climax, uh, you know, it's still like a very scary thing and you know that it's wrong. But in that, it's still shown in a calming way. Like you're on, you know, from the perspective of the person taking the drugs and you you still feel like it's something calming is happening, even though you know that something bad is about to happen. Does that make sense? It's very strange the way they yeah. represent even the parts on the film that are heading towards danger, like you're still on this trip. It's not like this heightened moment until they get into the violence and the revenge. Yeah, which is, I mean, I don't know if you have uh, or if you are willing to even talk about that publicly, but I have any <laughs> idea about how substances can affect you. Oh, I mean, yeah, no. I, I can personally talk about it, but um, I live in Amsterdam. Oh, yeah, of course here. you can. You can leave. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, that's a very realistic depiction of this because yeah. yeah, most of these movies that try to show this stuff are trying to be cautionary tales. Yeah. They're stuck within whatever legal system they're a part of and indoctrinated themselves about how drugs work. Mm-hmm. When yeah, recreational drugs are made to be chill. Yeah. So uh, you can get a bad trip on anything, of course. And they kind of showed here like what causes them. Like if you see how when Red gets the drugs and he just mm-hmm. gets like a little drop on his pinky, I think it was. <laughs> and I mean, it's enough to let him go for the whole night, mm. but he's got all this adrenaline and this rage. So for him, it just fuels him as an angry beast. Yeah. Whereas with Mandy and most people, that's why they use it. It's supposed to kind of knock you out and just make you like, hey, man, you know, really chilled yeah. out. And I love that. Yeah. Both Red and Mandy are kind of like, I am too stubborn to let this drug tell me how to behave, basically. Um, but they're also... You know, you can tell that they're into their psychedelics and stuff. They they chill. They probably do some acid every now and then and, <laughs> and know what it's like to deal with some heavy stuff. And I think it's clear that Panos Cosmatos is not one of the people who's afraid of recreational drugs. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. 
It's, but it's interesting what you say. That's exactly what I was meaning about the cautionary tale because that it's meant to be like a bad thing. It's normally shown as in uh-huh. horror movies when that when that <coughs> happens, but in this film it's not. But even like you think about that, even when people are drunk, like and they act, they do something yeah. stupid. Like it, if you're in that point of view as that person, you don't feel like it's that at that time. So I like how it takes the viewer in and it's not showing them from a, you know, from a fly in the war perspective. It's showing you from as if you're part of this group that's, you know, taken LSD or whatever. So yeah, super mm-hmm. interesting. And all through aesthetics, that's the coolest part of it for me is that mm. it's all sound design and pink and trying to find a way to you know, superimpose images on top of each other to yeah. give the swirly, otherworldly kind of effect. There, it's all technical, but what's hitting our brain is the fact that it's just affecting us emotionally. It's making us feel different vibes and feelings so that we understand the story better. Like, without having the giant wasp, which is just the most horrifying thing <laughs> I've ever seen. You know, those murder hornets they were talking about are smaller than that thing, and I'm I'm not okay. But like what even without having that scene, if they had just given her like the eye drops and then gone on, we would have known mm. what was going on. Yeah. And they don't need to be like, I've gave you a lot of drugs. Ha ha ha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so it, it just from them making the movie that way. And I like that they use a different technique for just about everything. Like the the different approaches to the film to create different moods, all have different reasons behind them. I guess that's what I'm kind of getting at. You know, this was a very literal A and B kind of situation. Mm -hmm. They drugged her. We're seeing a trip. Very cinematic version of that. But as we were already commenting on, like when we see the moments when they're just walking around and doing things, we get a lot of these effects too. And I don't know if I'm supposed to read that as they were high the whole time Mm. (laughs) or if that's just vibing, you know, <laughs> they love spending time with each other and then you get this kind of like cozy, mm, it's like I'm high kind of feeling. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. The whole film's like that. It's, yeah. I mean, you kind of have to start off in that respect. Yeah. It, it will, it, like I said, it's like in a different universe. Like I don't think this is meant to be on earth. It's like this parallel Charles Manson-esque mm-hmm. kind of crew. And I think also, but it does sink into the 70s and it has like this whole like rock glam 70s hippie thing going yeah. on so it's it's just the vibe <laughs> it's just the vibe for the whole film but <laughs> yeah i think you are meant to in, it's meant to insinuate that they're just that i mean they're out in the woods just chilling as a couple so maybe they are like yeah. that's just their downtime <laughs> i don't know <laughs> but we don't see them do it and i'd love that you know most yeah. movies would have made a huge point of watching them do it show you how drugs explaining are it it's like, yeah, yeah. We're just trying to feel out these people and what the kind of like atmosphere they want to create for themselves is. And as you said, it's kind of like there's the dream in the dreaminess, but there's the dream in what a life. <laughs> what, like to just to be happy with the other person that you're living with in a house that you're happy with mm. away from everybody's needs mm-hmm. <laughs> around you. What a life you create for yourself that way. I, one thing that you just mentioned, though, I'd love to get into. I like that you mentioned that it's kind of like an alternate universe. Mm-hmm. And it does become a little blatant at some point, doesn't it? Like at mm. the end of the film, you see him, you know, walking off in the distance. And I'm like, is that like, that's a very close planet yeah. to, uh, to our Earth over here. With a, It's like a straight out of Star Wars, like the two <laughs> stars, uh, two suns, you know? Um, 
I'm curious, is that where you kind of get that feeling from as well, or just more in the the vibe in general? I believe I looked it up um, one of the times I watched it because I was I was okay. really curious about that. I was like, is this taking place on Earth? <laughs> because it just didn't feel like there was a couple of things that just were really off. And then also because of the whole Charles Manson, mm-hmm. it felt like. And I, I was like, oh, is this meant to be? Is it not meant to be? And I believe that somewhere it, it has said, like they've said in an interview or something like that, that it's definitely meant to be some kind of other universe or other, yeah. Dimension, okay. oh, which makes a lot incredible. more sense because <laughs> you know that's why it's all yeah. so dreamy. It definitely makes the biker gang from hell that are chilling out in some backyard kind of shack make mm. sense to me as well. That was something I found hilarious is that when they're first introduced, I'm like, my horror movie brain totally accepts this because I've seen Hellraiser and they came mm. out of a puzzle box. So mm. blow a whistle, they will appear. That's fine, but then. When he goes to kill them, I'm like, are they just chilling out in a halfway house? They're going to go somewhere. <laughs> they, yeah, but it's like, oh, you're just down in the county. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Next back to that. Uh, so that's where the movie gets just a little oddball uh, in places. It's like, you can just walk up into their house and kill them the way they killed you. I really thought they were summoned from hell or yeah. something. But uh, they were more summoned from like, the south side or something. <laughs> yeah, it's so, interesting. Very interesting there. I guess with them as well, like as the villains, I guess, or part of the villain team, mm-hmm. the aesthetics of them alone is something else because it's like this whole like brings this heavy metal kind of feel. And I mean, everyone says the Hellraiser, which I mean, we don't really have anything else close enough to relate it no, to. And I totally exactly. agree. Yeah, it's a very interesting like darkness that they bring. Yeah, and on that, you know, there's a lot of different music kind of aesthetics in the film Mm -hmm. so not just the fact that we have this ambient score that Mm -hmm. has that dreamy i like how you put like the glam rock is kind of in there i mean you also see that in the title cards Mm -hmm. this title cards are so beautiful i uh, whoever made those is i want them (laughs) to make logos for everyone please (laughs) but you also have just the fact that mandy's wearing all of these metal but like old school metal t-shirts yeah black sabbath acdc stuff like that and then, yeah, you get these bikers who are more death metal, mm-hmm. just leather bound, like Slipknot ish. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Slipknot, yeah, exactly. You know, it's more of that 90s, late, early 2000s kind of vibe to it. Mm-hmm. It's all over the place. And then you have red. <laughs> this is my favorite shirt because it's like white. Oh, yeah. Skater tee, which, when you find out why, is one of the sweetest lines in the film, actually. That it's the shirt he wore when he met Mandy, mm. which that's this movie, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> so we do have, uh, you mentioned, yes, uh, people do tend to bring in narrative a lot. And I will say for me personally, that is where a lot of the beauty comes from the film, a- apart from all these aesthetic choices that mm-hmm. we've already discussed. And in conversations on aesthetics, people do try to separate the two, but I guess I'm a rebel. I uh, I kind of like to bring them together yeah. to see how they communicate together because I think it's a bit, not to say that there's anything wrong with trying to really hone in and specialize and learn one thing really, really well, but it, a movie is a totality of things. So I, I think that they really communicate back and forth. The story here for this film is simple, but love from... Average people is kind of the heart and soul of it for mm-hmm. me. Although they're special in that they are the more rebellious hippie types. They, you know, one's a lumberjack. 
the other works at a little convenience store and she's always reading and she paints for herself, which I love that too. She's just kind of doing things artistically for herself. It's such a lovable and loving relationship that we see on screen. And I think that that ties in really well with that vibe that we've been talking about. It's, I think if without the simplicity of the story and without the intense aesthetics, the tragedy might be lost a little bit. Mm. Well, yeah, I really do think it is a love story. Um, mm-hmm. That's really what it is. And yeah, it does show like the contrast between the darkness and all the evil in the world and having something that you love and protecting that. I think that that's really what the whole story is about. And I get, you know, I think that's pretty beautiful. I think everyone should have that, and um, it's really nice to see that part on screen. Unfortunately, it works backwards. So, I mean, if you watch this film yeah. backwards, it would be a lot better. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think that that's, yeah, that's really what it is about. It's really about protecting something um, and something sacred to you. I don't know if you are well-versed in Greek mythology. No, but, I'm not at all. Um, <laughs> I try, okay, well, but There's a story of... I I know stories, but I forget their names. <laughs> There's so many and so many different versions of things. It gets so confusing. <laughs> yeah. So anybody out there who is more knowledgeable on this, not to use any derogatory terms, because, you know, I respect your knowledge. Please be respectful to the fact that I understand the story. I just may forget some names right now. So I'm sorry if it's a name from a different story. But you have the story of the Catabasis. I know that much because it's... That was a, a name of an art piece that uh, I heard the artist talk about. And it, the Catabasis is a story. I want to say it was Orpheus and Eurydice. So please let me know in the comments. That'd be a great way to give me a comment is to let me know if those were the people. <laughs> but essentially, the, the two lovers, man and woman, woman dies. Man is so stricken by this and cannot continue. He goes all the way to the underworld and he demands that Hades lets her go. And Hades says, I'll do it. She can walk out with you, but you have to prove that you trust her and you can't turn around and look to see that she's still behind you at any point. Otherwise, she's mine. And they make it almost the entire way when they get to the opening and he's not allowed to talk to her, check on her, anything. And they're at the mouth of the cave that he went into to get down there. And before he steps out of it, he has that one pang of hesitation and fear that what if Hades has tricked him? And he turns around, and there she is at the opening, and she's just sucked back oh, into no. the underworld to stay forever because he doubted her love. This film feels like a play on that story, since we do have, now more revenge-based, of course, so we do have like, if you included them killing everything in the underworld before getting to Hades, <laughs> <laughs> then we have the same story. But it, it is kind of that for me, that it, this is more about the idea of Mandy than it is about Mandy herself and about really the relation. Like, it's how Red felt being around her and what she meant to him rather than just her. Because the drive to commit these acts of atrocity, that's for him. 100%. He needs to, to do this for himself. She's dead. She can't really benefit from it in any way. Because as you pointed out at the very beginning of this, 
it's such a bummer. There's no way to do <laughs> anything about any of that. She's mm. just gone. And uh, I found that very interesting considering how Jeremiah does all of this with the idea of Mandy in mind as well. So you have this conflict that comes about from two men who are fighting from like the same standpoint, but you just have a difference in morality, basically. It's kind of at least how I felt it. I don't know how you, you feel about all that. I think it's really interesting that we started off this conversation about talking about perspectives and how it says more about the person. <laughs> <laughs> and then we like completely take different things from this film. I'm like, it's yeah. about protecting love. <laughs> You're like, it's going to Hades. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I I understand that it like the play on the title where it um it it feels like you think it's about Mandy as being the main character, and it really is about right. um what happens to her. But I do think there's something very powerful in that. Um, scene where she laughs in his face and um, she refuses, even though she's been kidnapped and she knows she's going to be killed, she refuses to still beg to his demands and do what he wants. And I think that's why I feel like she has, and I mean, you you could be right with what you're saying about the way that she makes um, Nicolas Cage's um, character feel, but she has this power and this kind of, like, as soon as he sees her walking, Jeremiah, she he, like, is obsessed with her. And it's like she has this uh, almost, she's got this, like, power um, or more like she's enlightened almost, like, vibrating on a different frequency. And we see this from the very start. As soon as you see her, she's a very, uh, she's got that scar and she's just a very interesting-looking mm-hmm. person. And you just know there's something special about her. She has, like, this mysterious um, like essence to her and um, I, th- I, th- I tend to think that yeah the movie is like is about her it's just in it I don't know that I just it's just a, a love story that's told in strange different chapters but I do think that there is <laughs> maybe it's just because I focus more on that um, that scene where she's just like laughing in his face and it's very like powerful for someone who's you, you normally see in these movies where someone gets kidnapped or someone's in you know, a, a really tough situation, especially when it's like, I guess, to, I don't know if this is technically true crime, but, you know, taken by a cult, um, where mm-hmm. to laugh in their face, like you never see that. That never happens in films. It's always them being scared in the corner and she just owns that and she's just fine with it. She's just, she knows, it's almost like she knows what's going to happen to her and she, so she knows that she's not going to beg into like his demands and change who she is. And I think there's something really powerful about that. But yeah, I don't know if that any of that makes any sense. But yeah. Actually, yeah, and I think we're kind of touching on the same thing, but mm. you're right, perspectives. I, I love that that becomes like the theme of it because <laughs> what I'm getting at um, wasn't so much that the movie's not about her. It totally yeah. is. It's more like when I, I'm talking about the character's attachments to her seem yeah. to be more about an ideal than the person herself. However, yeah. you're right. She is this very powerful singular spirit you know she lives life the way she's going to and so in that moment when she's laughing and she's like not considering well she's she's like i know what's going to happen to me and that's fine Mm. i guess what it points out you you know depending on your perspective uh, you (laughs) could say she's not thinking about red in that moment and what that would mean to somebody who loves her dearly Mm. but that's also what makes her so special to both red Mm. and jeremiah is the fact that mandy is like i live my life yeah. And you were included in it, but it's my life. Yeah, she can't and be like which is, caught. Yeah, yeah, She's which wild. is very healthy and is something that is very healthy to be around because more people need to be empowered to live their lives, not run around for the sake of others all the time. 
Mm-hmm. So you have the two different responses, though. You get to see through Red what it really means to love Mandy mm-hmm. and th- do things on her behalf. Like he works this hard job to take care of their house, to just, you know, have those special moments of coming home after he's been at work for a few days and then they get to chill out. You know, he likes that life mm-hmm. and she does what she does. Where you have Jeremiah who always uses that sort of rhetoric with people and claims as if he is doing things for them. When it's all for his ego. And, you know, Mandy is just an acquisition. But he's not going to get the acquisition because for the first time, he tried to convert somebody who wasn't looking to be saved. Mm. So, yeah, that's when you get somebody laughing in his face because she's like, okay, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. made music about yourself and then you presented it to me as if it was Mozart. (laughs) 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 Like, or even if you thought it was like, the Everly Brothers, you know, like it's just—it's kind of sad, you know. That <laughs> She's is sad. Her music. Yeah. It's very sad, and I, I'm happy that they had the scene. But so, yeah, I—I I think Mandy is, as a person, just a very easy person to admire and like because she has this "I am who I am" kind of an attitude. Mm-hmm. And then the title makes total sense to me because her presence as this figure is vital to everything that takes place in it. It is yeah. why Red and Jeremiah fight because, because Mandy. Yeah, no, you're completely right. She's the, the center of the story, yeah. And I do like what you say about like um, like the whole Greek mythology because it does feel like that. It does have that kind of strong feeling to it, this unjust <laughs> story that is kind of out of nowhere you know and then there's demons just chilling so yeah no it does feel like that (laughs) (laughs) the demons chilling is what does it for me like i love that they just guzzle blood the way most bikers would guzzle back a can yeah for sure uh (laughs) it's so so wonderful and i guess i I thought of the the greek mythology thing as well because in a sense red doesn't fail because he never once doubts anything yeah you know he's He's done when he kills Jeremiah. Mm. <laughs> so, and that's what I think it was Orpheus had to do is just stay mm. the course, do your thing, and know that who, whoever you're with, whether it's Mandy or Yoridice, mm. they, if you really can trust them, they're by your side. Yeah. No matter what. And so he knew that the love they had was true. That's um, that scene where he does kill Jeremiah is the most <laughs> strangest scene. Um, just the dialogue is very, um, intense and, um, odd. It's just, it's just a reflection. It's, it's so interesting. There's so many different things you could break down in that alone. (laughs) But yeah. Yeah. The dissection of Jeremiah's ego in that whole scene is wonderful. He flip-flops so hard. Oh yeah. (laughs) The projection. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Then again, I mean, wouldn't you, if you had an angry Nicolas Cage standing (laughs) in your doorway? (laughs) I don't know that much. I think you might be speaking for yourself there. <laughs> really? Hey, power to you if you if you could pull a Mandy and just laugh at him. I'm I don't know Nick Cage to me. I don't know. I don't know who he's gonna do. So. <laughs> I'd be like, hey man, what's going on over here? <laughs> oh no, am I Jeremiah? I don't know. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, well, okay. I don't want to take up too much of your time. So, um, we'll have like one last thing then to discuss, uh, since there's so much in this movie (laughs) that we could unpack. It's a long movie. Um, I think then let's talk a little bit about the cosmos then. I think uh, that that's for me, a very specific sort of aesthetic 
that says mm-hmm. a lot. You mentioned this could be like an alternate reality mm-hmm. uh, to it, but there was something about the way they highlight all these artifacts, the way the church appears, but there's also this touch of how it's all kind of uh, underwhelming, I suppose. And I know it's because Jeremiah is just boasting a lot, mm-hmm. but do you feel then that based on everything, like that power that we're experiencing, is this the, a true power that's there or is it kind of like just the feelings that other people might be getting from Jeremiah's in- um, intensity? Oh, no, I don't, I don't believe him for one second. And that's why I think it's, that's why I relate him to Charles Manson, maybe because of the music as well, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, that power that he had over people and um, the power of suggestion. I'm very much into cults as well. So, um, no, don't believe it for a second. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say anything's underwhelming in this film, though. I definitely wouldn't use those words. Yeah, um, I couldn't think of a better word. <laughs> <laughs> it's not exactly what I mean, but I more mean, like, how, like, it's, you know, friends like the whistle and stuff, they're, like, just, they're, they're, they have these pulsing lights and the really intense sounds to them and stuff. Mm. So it's all clear this is a very intense thing. But the shape of it is not grandiose. It's just, mm. you know, a massive rock. Mm. Uh, the church itself is really just kind of a cave. You know, things like that. They're all really understated. Maybe mm-hmm. that's a better word. They're more understated in their nature, but the nature of the aesthetics tend to elevate them to present them as more uh, potent, powerful presence. Jura, underwhelming is a very poor... <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm, not <laughs> I'm just saying my perspective. Because, yeah, everything in this film is kind of up for grabs. And I guess that's what we're talking about with the alternate reality is mm-hmm. just or whatever it is, parallel universe. Um, you just never know what you're going to yeah. get and it really does throw you. But it also c- connects back to nature and I feel like they don't want to have these, um, uh, I guess, even all of the architecture um, is very interesting. And yeah. like like we were talking about before with the um, where the – the demons, the bikey gang hang out. It's a very interesting choice that they've chosen, like a man-made structure instead of, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like a cave in that regard. Um, yeah, you've got to think about that. I know I've never really thought about those moments. Well, I know I wish we had more time to do so, <laughs> but as I said, I don't want to take too much of your time today. So I do appreciate you you sitting out down with me. But hey, maybe another time we can get into the significance of uh, the the demon biker game living in a bungalow <laughs> with a basement you know? uh, <laughs> instead of like a deep, dark cavern. Um, but then I will wrap things up. Uh, this podcast is a part of the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad. So be sure to follow the Anatomy of a Scream podcast page on your preferred podcast platform to check out more introspective, semi-academic, and fun podcasts, including 28 Days Ladyer, hosted by Sophie and Hannah Day, XOXO Horror, and much more. You can find more info at anatomyofascream.com. If you're interested in more of my musings on beauty and horror, or horror in general, you can follow me on Twitter, which is at underscore shockaholic, and you can check out my website, which is shockaholic.org, which has just had a recent kind of renovation. So the new stuff, check it out. Uh, It's all flashy, new artwork. Um, But dear listeners, I would love to hear what are your thoughts on Mandy? Is there anything that we didn't touch on in this discussion that you'd like to know more about or chime in on? You can do so on Twitter, which is at beautyhorrorpod, or email me, beautyofhorrorpod at gmail.com. And of course, there's Discord if you want to do that too. But thanks again, Emma, for sitting down with me. It was lovely chatting with you today. Thanks for having me.
And uh, where can everybody find you on the interwebs and, and follow all of your, <laughs> your pursuits? And is there anything coming up that you would like to plug? Uh, so you can follow me at uh, Spooky Astronauts. Uh, you can find me primarily on Instagram and, of, of course, YouTube. Um, that for the, I hang out on Instagram quite a, a bit if you want to get in touch. Um, and in the new year, I am so excited because Scream is coming out and um, I've just secured my tickets. So fun things are coming. So maybe some extra bonus, really fun stuff. So very excited for that. Oh, I think we should all be excited for that. I cannot <laughs> wait to hear your thoughts on the new Scream. Ah, oh, you got me. You got me hyped again. Uh, <laughs> well, then be sure to check Emma out if you haven't done so already. And I don't know how you found me before finding her. So uh, in case you are one of those individuals, please just do yourself a favor and, and you won't be disappointed. Always very professional work on uh, Spooky Astronauts, but also fun. So if you're looking for both, you really just, you, you can't miss if you go to Spooky Astronauts. Uh, and of course, I want to thank you, dear listener, for joining us and talking about the beauty that lurks within the horrible. Goodbye. There's no